0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.
1: Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such
2: an honor to present this next
0: award. And
1: here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to.
2: And the Oscar goes to. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won best picture.
1: I'm Katie Rich, and I'm here on our Tuesday interview episode to set up our colleague Hillary Busis' interview with Bill Hader, the creator and star of Barry, which is returning for its third season on HBO on April 24th. Bill Hader has won the Best Actor in a Comedy Series Emmy twice for his performance. I think Barry is probably one of the most anticipated returning shows coming back this spring. Um, So let's hear Hillary's conversation
3: with Bill Hader. All right, Bill Hader, hello. Thank you for coming on and talking to me about Barry.
2: Oh, hello. Nice to meet you. (laughs)
3: Um, Maybe we should start by kind of rewinding a little bit. I heard that you guys did your season three table read and then the world immediately shut down. Was that the timeline?
2: Yep. That's pretty much it. Yeah, we did our table read for the first two episodes of season three. And then I think the next day is when the NBA stopped at season. And I remember Aida Rogers, the producer, and I looking at each other going, oh, no.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, it was like that, and uh, and Tom Hanks, I think, on the same day.
2: Yeah, yeah, Tom Hanks, and then got and Rita Wilson got sick, and then it was like, oh man, what's going on? And then I remember driving back from where we had our table read and seeing lines outside the grocery store, and going, oh no, oh no.
3: Suddenly, we've stepped into a zombie movie. Yeah,
2: exactly, exactly. Yeah.
3: So during the lockdown and during the shutdown, um. Did you significantly rework what season three was going to be? Like, how much did you change it?
2: Um, Actually, quite a lot. I mean, the the tent poles were all there. The bigger pieces of it kind of remained the same from our first writers meeting, to be honest. I remember kind of going, well, maybe the season is this. And then that pretty much stayed the same. But actually, what it was, was writing season four. We decided, like, well, let's write season four since we have all this time now. And then in write, writing season four, it was like, oh, you know what? Maybe if we do this, then this will work. And three, if we set this up or a storyline in four would start to take shape that was a little more interesting if if it was different in three so it could all feel as one a piece.
3: Do you feel like it got darker? Was it, is it less funny than the version that existed pre-2020?
2: Yeah, I mean, The season was always going to be darker, I think, by the virtue of, like, each season, the kind of noose is tightening around Barry and the pressures on him. And so I think in doing that and just kind of writing it, just going step by step, it just started to go that way. And... Especially what happened at the end of season two, where season two was his kind of, you know, we always said it's like an alcoholic saying, I'm not going to drink. And then the last scene of season two is him going on a bender after watching him not have a drink all season. Uh, You know, in season three, he's very much kind of, you know, at a loss. We find him at the beginning very much at a loss. And Mm. as he always, you know, kind of in the pilot was like, you know, he's always trying to find a purpose when he doesn't really have a purpose. I think that's funny, but...
3: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Rock bottom is hilarious.
2: Rock bottom is hilarious. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Did you consider integrating the pandemic into the show?
2: No, we had a talk with HBO and and I just was like, the last thing I want to see right now is people in masks and stuff like that. And then it becomes like a whole other thing. So I I think on some level, I was hoping that, oh, if we have masks, then people will know it was during the pandemic. I think it was my own Hoping that this thing would end and be a thing in history. <laughs>
3: uh, well, I don't know if you watched and just like that, but that's what they did.
2: They had it in they, there. Or?
3: They basically it starts and everybody is like, "Wasn't the pandemic crazy?" And now uh, we're all. And fine. now it's over and we're back to regular life.
2: Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great.
3: And it works in that show. I mean, it's a very heightened reality. Um, I mean, Barry yeah. is too, but yeah, a different. <laughs>
2: A different sadder reality, yeah. Uh.
3: <laughs> Slightly, yeah. yeah
2: Slightly pretty- sadder.
3: Um, So, yeah, I, I've seen the first four episodes. I don't want to get into specifics because I think this is going to be out there before uh, the season has premiered. But uh, what would you say to sort of set the stage for people who remember where season two? Season two ends with Henry Winkler finding out that Barry killed his girlfriend. It's a very... Uh, Henry Winkler playing Gene Cousineau. It's a very emotional, like enormous revelation and it's going to have reverberations, I'm sure, through the rest of the season. So so, yeah, where do we find everybody at the beginning of season three?
2: Well, Barry's, um, you know, he's a bit at a loss. He's still trying to figure out what his purpose is. I think he still hasn't really recovered. It's been about six months since the last, you know, where we saw everybody at the end of season two. And Barry and Sally are in very different places. Her career is in a very, the best place it's ever been and she has a lot of responsibility and and kind of you know is doing what she's always wanted to be doing and barry on the other hand is on the couch playing video games and then uh gene cousineau is still reeling from what he found out from the end of, at the end of season two and and is trying to get someone to uh do something about it you know and then no ho hank is no hank <laughs> 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 you know
3: yeah, I, I loved his... Uh...
2: Struggling, you know. Mm-hmm.
3: Everybody is struggling, yeah. Yeah. I definitely don't want to spoil anything, but I do want to mention that there's a character this season who is a showrunner um, and is writing and directing and acting. And I just, I have to ask how much of that was informed by your experience?
2: Very much so in some ways. There's a specific shot in the first episode that's this kind of long shot that person coming into work. And that that very much is how it, it feels sometimes. But uh, but also, it's very much hopefully to that character's own kind of journey and and their thing's much more personally vulnerable than what I do. So I think that was a, another layer to put on it.
3: Mm-hmm. It does seem like one of the big themes of that is just like the pressure of having to make a billion decisions all of the time. Is that... Yeah.
2: Yeah, it is. it is true to life. Yeah. You're constantly being asked questions and, and, uh, and then yeah, action. And then you have to be acting and it's, it's a lot of pressure. It, it It's weird. People always ask me like, how do you do all the jobs? And it, to me, it just feels like one job, you know, it's just kind of making all these decisions and, um, I think if I split them up into different categories, it would, it would get too overwhelming. You know, it almost feels like, cause the writing will bleed into the directing and the directing bleeds into the acting. And, you know, it all is one kind of stew of, uh, decisions. But the nice thing is, is that I've been on other things where I'm just an actor and you don't get, you know, that kind of autonomy over things. And, and it's nice to be able to, to try something and it's not working, Uh, within the scene and you can change it and try to make it work. Or an actor has an idea and you can incorporate that into it and you know how to, you can be a little bit more malleable when you're wearing all those hats to make the thing work.
3: Mm -hmm. And having done this for three seasons now and worn so many hats, do you feel more confident doing all of these things at the same time now? Like, do you still kind of feel like someone someone's going to figure out that I don't know what I'm doing, is it sort of both?
2: I feel confident. No, actually I actually feel yeah, very confident, and uh, and it's actually a lot of fun. And I have a great team. You know, Gavin Kleintop is my first AD, and Aida Rogers is the producer, and Carl Hersey is the DP this season, and just the whole kind of unit when we're shooting is, is um, just wonderful. That helps me. So it's very much like a team.
3: Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery+. Plus.
2: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number.
3: So we, we mentioned Gene Cousineau already um, and Henry Winkler. And one of the things that I love about this season is he's obviously very sympathetic. He's been through a lot. Um, he's dealing with this enormous revelation. But there's also this running thread of learning how kind of despised he is in the Hollywood <laughs> community. And like what an asshole he's been to so many different people. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, Henry seems like just the nicest person in the world. like yeah. what, What's his reaction to like having to... Go these places.
2: I think it's hard for him, you know. I don't it's not his character at all, you know. It just him as a, a as a person. He's just very loving and but you know, there's some scenes in the season, especially later in the season, they're really emotional and pretty brutal. Those were tough for him. You know, he's like I've never gone to this kind of place before. I, I really respected him for going there and really committing to it. But you're right. The other stuff too. him just being so unlikable, you know, finding out about his past is really fun. And I think um, Barry and Cousineau are both men who've done a lot of awful things. You know, I think one of the big things is like, can you get Is forgiveness, is redemption like a thing? Can you truly be redeemed or all the consequences and the consequences on the consequences? You know, it's a thing that kind of has happened through you know since the beginning of time you know that kind of cycle of violence not just physical violence but emotional violence and you know all these things that were probably rolling around my head for the past couple of years and i in the writer's room as well when you're talking about it you know kind of a feeling and um You know, and the themes, it's not like we start with these themes and then it happens. It was just like, as you write it, you kind of go like, oh, that's interesting. All these things are kind of organically flowing together. But uh, that was one thing we discovered in in working in season three and reworking it was this weird parallel between Kusno and and Barry's past.
3: Yeah, it's funny to think, like, there's Barry, obviously, who's a murderer, and Noho Hank and Fuchs, too, and Gene is this kind of famous jerk to everybody that he meets. But uh, we at VF, we did an interview with Sarah Goldberg a few years ago um, where she was talking about how Sally is the character that gets labeled unlikable by a lot of people, which I just think oh, is yeah. like so. And I mean, she she said something in that interview that I feel like really resonated where it was something like we have this endless appetite for male violence and like this huge allergy to female ambition. Like somehow that is. Yeah, I know that seen is like.
2: And it it happens on all sides too, which is really funny. It, there's a very funny clip I think of me at a Google event, and this girl stands up and it's like, "Sally sucks so bad, and she's so this and that," and and I say, "Well, you know, she's based on me." <laughs> <laughs> her face dropped I was like <laughs> but it is funny because it's like yeah she's just ambitious and she doesn't really apologize you know the thing when we're writing Sally and Sarah's so smart too and playing her is like it doesn't work if she's mean it works if she's being honest
3: yeah she's not malicious she's just kind of she's self-absorbed
2: she's self-absorbed and she's just being honest like and you see that self-absorption in Hollywood I mean, Kusno is the same way. Barry's the same way. I mean, he's super self-absorbed. He's always out for himself. I mean, that's the thing when season one, when he kills Chris, people go, God, I can't believe he did that. And I'm like, because he doesn't want to get caught. You know what I mean? Everybody's always like, oh, he's such a nice guy and everything. We're like, God, I feel so bad for Barry. I'm like, he just shot a guy. (laughs) He shot his
3: friend. Yeah,
2: friend who was completely innocent. Who was like, "I have a wife and kid. Please don't do this." And he did it anyway because he doesn't want to get caught. You know. So it it is interesting the reaction to the hate for Sally, and then the thing I've said before: never in my career ever have I ever been called attractive until I was killing people on (laughs) (laughs) bear. and I had three. Journalist going. I have never found you attractive, but I gotta say, and you like, thanks. And I'm like, oh, I had to murder people and be like a really unlikable character <laughs> for you. To say. I was like, I thought I was, you know, super bad. No, um, no, but <laughs> um, and then you know, as the season goes on, not to give anything away, but there's also parts of that character, Sarah's character, where she goes through a lot, and in that too it's if this was a male character, there'd be no question we would go here. Mm -hmm. But because it's Sally, it turns into this, will she be likable? What will people think? And, and it's just, you know, it's kind of silly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Yeah, yeah. It's always me doing, you know, or, or, you know, oh, she Barry is such a bad boyfriend, we should, you know, be great if, you know, she had a a guy there that she liked. And it's like, okay, if we were writing this as a man, why do we, would you be like, Oh, let's bring a girl in that he would like. It always becomes about a dude. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a thing you're always, it's very weird. Yeah. She's right though.
3: Um, I mean, and speaking of, you know, hearing people say, you know, Barry is such a nice guy, even in the face of him shooting Chris, which I feel like is it, There are he does a lot of unforgivable things, but that does stand out as the one
2: where we all were like, I wonder if anybody's going to be able to we're going to lose people here. Yeah.
3: But so knowing that you haven't lost people, is there a line that he can cross that will cause people to turn against him?
2: I mean, I don't know. Season episode two this season, he does some really terrible stuff. There's some terrible stuff in episode two. He threatens some terrible shit in episode two this season. And, you know, we watch it. It's all like. But it feels honest, you know? It's like, no, this is the guy we're dealing with here, you know? And again, his like he thinks he's self-aware, but he's really not self-aware at all. The fact that you recognize you were terrible doesn't really erase It's not
3: that. enough, yeah. It's
2: not enough to say you're terrible. And I think all that was rolling around in our heads, or at least my head, just over the past couple of years, you know? A lot of people apologizing, you know, and that finding its way into the show. And you yeah, know. Barry
3: could release a statement and say like, "I am, I am extremely sorry for my actions."
2: I'm very sorry for murdering Chris <laughs> 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 and murdering Janice Moss and murdering. Uh, all offending people.
3: anybody was not my intention.
2: I didn't offend, I didn't mean to offend <laughs> anybody by murdering all these people. But no, I mean. It's, it's just trying to play it as honestly as we can. And, you know, I think a thing I always say is, you know, I love the movie Goodfellas. And I remember watching that movie and going, man, this is such a great, what a f- cool group of people. <laughs> and then he kills Spider and Joe Pesci kills Spider. There's that scene with uh, Ray Liotta and um, Lauren Bronco where she has a gun in his face and he takes it away from her and it gets really scary and he puts it in her face and it's it's just awful. And you're like, oh, yeah, these aren't nice people.
3: Yeah, maybe that is sort of what it takes is like seeing him hurting people that we've gotten to know through the yeah, show. Yeah, we
2: care about, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, this season is that that starts to happen for sure.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, and this season there, I don't know if this changes, but there isn't as much focus on the acting class. You've spun out from that. Is there a reason why you kind of wanted to explore other avenues? Was that just, like, the natural, like, direction that the story took? It was
2: just a natural thing. I think, you know, the last two seasons ended with the acting class show, and I think when we started this season, I think the first thing we said, I think everybody was like, can we just not have an acting? We can't end the season with an acting class show. We did that the last two seasons. And then it just kind of morphed into, yeah, the, the the classes." As the season starts, I mean, this is in the trailer, I think. The sign is in the trailer, so you a bit, the, mm-hmm. the, it's closed, you know.
3: Yeah.
2: It kind of organically made sense to kind of go that way. But then, yeah, it let us kind of branch out and go into different areas, which were a little bit more interesting when we were writing.
3: mm mm-hmm. um, And you yourself didn't take – have not taken an acting class like that. Like, you, you sat no. in on them while you were writing the show. But, I mean, yeah. I'm – I'm sort of curious, how do you feel like you would have done in an acting class like this where, you know, you're being broken down and built back up and asked to tap into your trauma on stage?
2: I'd probably be terrible at it, but also (laughs) just, I probably not, I would not be very good at it. Yeah, I would have the armor of acting like I was being vulnerable, (laughs) but not really being vulnerable because I was like, I don't know you people, you know. That's why I was in improv classes, because it was just about being funny and exploring stuff. Yeah, I got to feel very comfortable in order to go there. And the idea of like Kusinow does in the pilot to Sally is someone yelling at me and screaming at me to get me to a place. I don't think I would react well to that.
3: As a director, do you do you think that is like a, a useful method?
2: No, but it's interesting because I have worked with actors now when I'm directing that are like, yeah, I need something. And, I, and as an actor, too, you know, where people like you're in an argument and someone's mad. It's like, oh, can you, you know, yell at me before the take or something to give me something to be, you know. But it has to be kind of like a consensual thing instead of those stories you hear of directors slapping people before they, <laughs> you know.
3: And then Sorry. being yeah. like, use that, go.
2: Punching them in the face and going, go, I don't really get that or everybody, mostly everybody I work with, for the most part, you just stay out of their way and give them very specific notes. As an actor, I always like things that are simple and hyper specific. And you're like, Oh, I can play that. And I've done it myself as a director. You go up and you start to say something. You really don't know what it is and you don't know how to communicate it. So as you're talking, you can just see their eyes just glaze over and you're <laughs> like, I'm confusing you now. I'm going to shut up, <laughs> you know. Well, if, if
3: the goal was to make them act confused, then. <laughs> yeah,
2: maybe that was it. Yeah. Um, or sometimes you give someone a prop or something to give it a little bit something. I remember Jesse Hodges in the last episode of season two, she was doing a scene with Sally and she wanted to be like, oh, how do I show that I'm telling her that the show's going to go great, but then I'm nervous. And then we gave her this piece of paper to be ripping up while she's doing it. And she was just really funny doing that. And it's like, you know, you give suggestions like, oh, do you want to rip this up? And she was like, oh, yeah, let me try that. And then she was really funny doing it. You know, it's like little little things like that, but it's never like, come on, you moron. <laughs> 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 I would not, yeah, I would not react. Well even,
3: before. even pretending to say it, I can tell your heart's not in it.
2: Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I can't even, I, I don't even know where you start with that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's very antiquated, old school. Um, yeah, there's that, that footage of Stanley Kubrick with Shelley Duvall in The Shining where he's like yelling at her and making her feel stupid because it's getting, you know, that's, that's all bullshit.
3: Yeah, the idea that you have to hurt somebody in real life in order well, that's, for that to
2: not work. about her, that's about his ego. That's his ego. And I like Kubrick movies, but when I watched that when I was twenty it was like, Oh, okay, yeah. And then you start doing this and you're like, What the fuck? What <laughs> why would you ever need to do that? That's yeah, that's their their ego. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as a specialty record, poster and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit PitchforkMusicFestival.com. Um, and so you directed five
3: episodes of this yeah. season? Yeah. Do you think that come season four, you want to do all eight?
2: Y- yes, I would like to do, yeah. I think, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. Can I, I think I am, but I don't know if you're allowed to <laughs> allowed to say that. You,
3: you can put it out there.
2: I, I think I am, but yeah, I love directing. I love directing. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I always wanted to do. So it's it's been, it's fun to learn every time, you know, trying these things and the, the show has kind of morphed and become a little bit, you know, darker and a little bit more cinematic with each season. And, and um, you know, this season, especially later in the season, there's a lot of stuff that I tried with the effects and things like that. That was just fun, you know. Mm-hmm. so
3: Is there an outlier along the lines of Ronnie and Lily, which was the season two episode that um, was like a weird, surreal Almost not a standalone.
2: Really. No, not really. There's there's like sequences that are they're kind of crazy, but not a full episode. No,
3: I, I guess this is since the acting class is not as big of a sh- part of the show. Now this is more about your previous experience. But is it tougher to be acting badly on purpose or to direct people to act badly on purpose? Like, is how do you direct bad acting? Do you say like be worse?
2: You know what? You kind of just let people do it and they know how to do it. I don't think I've given a direction on how to act bad. You know, it's like they're <laughs> all just very good. I just, we hire very good actors to do it. When I try to act bad, I kind of just, I, I think a lot of it is you're um, just memorizing lines. I think of being, um, I don't know, like I just remember being in elementary school and you would have to memorize like a poem.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I would think about that where I, it was it you gave it nothing, you were just... I just want to say the words in the right order, (laughs) you know, and so that's that's the kind of feeling.
3: Yeah. And so with season four written, do you have in, you and Alec Berg, do you have in your heads like an ideal number of seasons that you want the show to last?
2: No, not yet. No. We're just taking it literally one scene at a time.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Although I guess, I mean, it does seem like it's a heightened reality, but does it feel like there's, you know, a point at which like Barry continuing to get away with it feels like it could be getting too much?
2: Yeah. Yeah. You start to go, come on, you know, I think when you have a idea like this, there is kind of like a, that's what I mean by one scene at a time. You want to be honest and real and you don't want to, I I don't like that when I watch shows where you could feel like they're perpetuating a thing because of the order, not because of the show you know so
3: yeah where where dexter is on for like 11 seasons and somehow every police officer in the entire country is just completely incompetent <laughs> yeah
2: yeah you know you can't do that it's more interesting when people are good at their job and then you kind of go geez what will happen which is what happened with Janice Moss at the end of episode or season 1 mm-hmm. where you're like you should make people good at their job and not make them bad just because that helps again the order so yeah I and think- it
3: seems a lot more challenging It seems a lot more challenging to write yourself out of a corner that you've, like, painted.
2: Yeah, we do that all the time, and I I think it's more interesting. But, yeah, it's definitely, uh, yeah, that's why I say, like, one scene at a time, you know, and trying to be real with it and not be precious about stuff.
3: Mm -hmm. And think, okay, as much as I'm enjoying this and what we're doing, like, maybe it's best for the project if we... Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, Who, who knows, Yeah. It has to get to that place at some point, yeah.
3: Um, And this is off-topic of Barry, but since I have you, I'm curious. Um, The season four of Documentary Now has been announced. It seems like there are a lot of really great, great parodies that are going to happen in it. I just read the description of the monkey grifter, and it made me laugh out Mm -hmm. loud. Um, And I just wanted to see if you could say anything about how involved
2: you are in it. Uh, I have to be honest, I'm not that involved as much at all because of Barry. We did a retreat... Uh like in 2019, and we talked about it because everyone's schedules are so busy. But it really is Reese Thomas and Alex Buno. I mean, those guys are the ones that make that show what it is. And and uh, I had a lot of fun performing with Fred and writing on that stuff. But I, I've seen stills from the season. So I'm kind of a producer on it, but Barry takes up my, my life. So that's very much their, their – those guys are – doing amazing work. And like I just said, I've seen stills from a lot of the stuff and it looks amazing. Just the technology from when we started season one to now is leaps and bounds. It is insane. Like it was breathtaking. Some of the footage I saw, I did not realize it was us. I was like, it fully tricked me where I was like, Fred walked in and I was like, oh my God, oh what? I thought it was a reference shot for something. So I, yeah, it's really pretty unreal
3: well it's exciting to get to that we get it at all um, oh my everyone. god
2: I'm just happy that they'd make it yeah. when we pitched it we were like we're only getting to make this because Portlandia was on IFC and and that's it because no one would want to make this and in, in a million years and and I still think the the thin blue line episode we did is one of my favorite things I've ever been involved with ever in my career I just think that thing is perfect Fred is so funny in that episode and all the actors in it are so good and Reese and Alex just outdid themselves with that episode I thought
3: yeah the company one is the one that uh, is closest to my heart but
2: oh yeah well that's Mulaney that's all Mulaney (laughs) that's unreal yeah that thing's just Richard kind and yeah
3: yeah Okay, well, I think I should probably let you go, but I do have one last question, um, which will make sense to people once they see the season of Barry, but it's, uh, who do you think should play the next (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man?
2: Ben Mendelsohn.
3: (laughs) It's so obvious.
2: So obvious, Ben Mendelsohn.
1: That does it for today's interview segment. We'll be back on Thursday with our regular show. I'll be joining our colleague Chris Murphy to uh, finally go over the true nitty-gritty postmortem of this year's Oscars and hopefully look ahead a little bit and talk about some new movies and TV shows as well. So in the meantime, you can find us at VanityFair.com. You can follow us on Twitter at LittleGoldMen. You can sign up to text with us at Subtext. subtextcom slash LittleGoldMen or text 718-550-2059. This episode, as always, was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs.
3: The Run for Vogue is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture.
2: I am Fran Um, who should be the mayor of New York.
3: We all support yeah. that. We support that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Nikki.
0: Yes. It's been really great Chill being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asha, can you hear us?
2: I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are.
0: <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOC. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, AWOK, Anna a OK. I'm Cho
3: Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mel. And we're the hosts of The Run Through Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOC. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.